Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, as I always say, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern is always money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Welcome to Talk Money. Well, this morning, we are packed. We have got a show that you're going to thoroughly walk through and listen with us and learn a lot about what's going on in the market and what you should should and should not be doing my guest today is Rusty Leonard, the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. We're going to talk about volatility, the Fed, and a subject that's got everybody's attention, inflation. Welcome to the program, Rusty. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you, Jim. Good Thank morning, you. sir. I am uh, same here. I appreciate you being with us. I appreciate your time. And, you know, what I, I feel like that some people are just looking at this Delta variant and the market. Monday just dropped 700 points. Now we've made it up, and that's volatility. And these short-term movements are kind of, uh, I mean, they, they make your teeth grit a little bit. But at the end of the day, you kind of say, okay, this is what's going to happen. But the Delta variant does seem to be worrying the market. What do you think? Is this real? Is this something we need to be prepared for? Are we going to shut down the economy again? What's your take, sir? Well, it is confusing, and so you can understand why the market's uh, bouncing around, and it's not uh, confusing completely because of just the science, although that can be confusing itself. It's also how different political factions in different states react to these issues, and some overreact, some underreact, and some react normally, and uh, so you get a whole lot of different um, reactions that can have an impact on the economy overall, even if there's really not a problem. So the data so far suggests that there's a lot more infections going on. You know, people who aren't uh, vaccine, haven't gotten their vaccine are certainly susceptible to this very uh, spreadable Delta variant. Uh, But we're not seeing hospitalizations and death rates kick up anywhere near as fast as we've seen uh, the number of infections. So it's still at very, very low levels. Now, obviously, we don't want anybody to die. uh, So that's unfortunate that uh, it is moving up a little bit. But it's not something that uh, I would think would cause the whole economy economy to be put into another shutdown again. Now, outside the United States, it's a different story where there's a, you know, vac- vaccination rates are very low in many countries, if zero in some, unfortunately, and uh, it may affect economies uh, elsewhere. But I would think that we're probably, as an economy, going to get through this particular uh, run that we're going to see. We are, and we'll, we'll see increased infections. But I don't think we're going to see uh, troubling levels of hospitalizations and deaths or super troubling. I mean, any death is troubling, but super troubling levels. And uh, I, I hope that most governments at the state level and local levels will react in a favorable, favorable way to this and not overreact and that the economies won't be under undercut. It does seem to be somewhat a political basketball that we kind of toss around the court quite a bit. But you're right. I hope it's not um, medically or scientifically going to create greater problems for those that have been able to dodge the bullet and all of a sudden the delta variant began a, a real problem you know inflation i know i read something recently and i and i you know the department of labor published this i think at the end of june inflation was up 5.4 percent 
for uh, through 630 uh, of this year. And, of course, they, their comment was this is the biggest increase in the last 30 years. And, uh, you know, what's your thinking there with inflation? I mean, inflation is something, and, it's, and I guess, Rusty, uh, inflation is something we all, it's, on the, it's in the news, it's, it's on everybody's mind, but the bond market seems to be ignoring it. I'd like to hear your take on that. Yeah, this is a very strange situation for people like myself who would look at these weird little squiggly lines on graphs and uh, try to understand them. Uh, so what we've seen is inflation skyrocket, as, as everyone knows. But what most of your listeners are probably not aware of is that the bond market, typically uh, the, the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond, which is the benchmark bond in the, in the bond market, typically follows the trend of inflation. And you have this relationship established over decades, right? And uh, you're, normally, you're going to see uh, the, the yield on that 10-year Treasury bond be a percent to a percent and a half, maybe 2% higher than the inflation rate at any given point in time. And it usually doesn't vary from, you know, from those ranges by any great amount for any length of time. Uh, now, it's going, they've, both lines have gone in exactly opposite directions. We've seen the inflation rate go sky high back to levels last seen in the in the 90s, if not earlier, depending on which inflation uh, rate you're looking at. And then we've seen bond yields go down. Well, that's just crazy. It makes no sense. It, it may, there's no economic sense that can be made from that, unless you're assuming that the Delta variant is going to be a problem. We are going into another shutdown, and there is going to be a, another large recession. Uh, although the last recession, while deep, Apparently only lasted two months, according to the government. That's another. That's side a short note one. There. Yes, mm. <laughs> that was a short one. I, mean, I think most. I, I think most people felt it lasted a little longer than that. Yeah. Nevertheless. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's a very strange uh, situation. It happened one other time back in the '70s, brief period of time, and of course, what what happened there is inflation continued to rise, and interest rates caught up, and that hurt the markets uh, greatly. So, for any wise investor. You want to be looking at this and saying, hey, my risks are higher because if, if what happened in the 70s plays out again, inflation stays high and the interest rates rise, you're going to see stocks get hurt by that mm -hmm. and bonds be hurt by that. Well, that's that's a great point. If you just tuned in, my guest is Rusty Leonard. He is a certified financial analyst. He's the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest here on Talk Money, always does a great job for us. Now, Rusty, when you when you said what you you know the whole idea the markets could get kind of you know disturbed with that and the volatility. So, when you think about that side with with inflation, you got the delta variant. Let me add another thought in here. Economic growth and earnings growth. I mean, we're asking, I mean, we seem to be booming. I mean, it's hard to look at and not read something where things are looking in the future extremely strong. Now, question. Is the market already priced that in? Is it already got that anticipation? And so is that figured in? And now we're looking at these other things that could possibly slow us down. And if that creates the problem, or is that what you're saying? Maybe we are on the verge of a correction, a substantial correction, because of all the variants that you've talked about so far. Yes, I think you've uh, you've got that. You're on the right path, I believe. Right. So we have seen economic growth be very, very strong. We're not right now in the middle of the second quarter earnings season, as we call it in my business. And that means that's when all the companies are reporting their quarterly earnings for the second quarter. And they're great. You know, they're coming in very, very good because the economy was just absolutely booming during the second quarter as the reopening of the economy took place. 
And so you're seeing really, really strong numbers that people like myself are normally like, wow, this is great, cheer them on, right? But at the same time, that's looking backwards, and the stock market always looks ahead. And so it's looking ahead and it's saying, hey, where's this Delta variant going? Is this going to be a problem? Or will it be, uh, will the Delta variant lead to yet a, another variant that will be even more problematic? Uh, you know, those are the kinds of questions that uh, people are looking at, investors are looking at when they look forward. They're also seeing that that economic growth is so strong, you know, almost 10 percent probably in the second quarter, which is you know, ridiculously high for a, a mature economy like the U.S. They know it's coming down. So it's great while it lasted, but it ain't going to last much longer. So it's going to be coming down. The question is how far down and how fast that glide path will be. We don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, destabilizingly fast decline in economic growth. And we think it will decline to a level that is kind of normal. And so uh, I'm not too concerned on that front. But I am concerned that share prices are already reflecting kind of the best of all worlds. Uh, Some people say share prices, uh, when they're at levels like this, are priced for perfection. And as you know, having uh, been walking these, uh, this world a long time, that uh, perfection usually doesn't, isn't usually what we get no, as we move forward. No, you're right. You're a good point. That's, so, that's uh, an so issue. When stocks are priced for perfection, you've got to be concerned. Yeah, that's an issue. Well, when we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I know we talk about September and we talk about August. August and September, these two months being kind of a, a low predictable low months for the market. I want to talk to you about that and get your take. And then I'm going to ask Scott Jordan to join us here in the studios. And we've got a question about the Fed and how do you feel the Fed? I mean, it's almost like the Fed has um, got its own mind thing going on right now. And uh, I mean, it's like, are, are we cooperating? Is the Fed manipulating? I kind of want to get your take on that. Scott's got the same idea and he'll ask that question too. So when you come, when we come back, we'll dive into September and August, August and September, are they are they historical bad months? The answer is yes. Will that repeat itself this year in 2021? We're going to ask Rusty Leonard when we come back. If you just tuned in, my guest is Rusty Leonard. He is the CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council. Joining us when we come back, Scott Jordan with Shoemaker Financial. Got some great questions, so stay with us. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the mighty 990. We're talking with Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest of ours. We're talking about, well, we've discussed, let's put it this way, we've talked about the Delta variant, volatility, the Fed's coming up, but we got into inflation and economic growth and the idea behind what's happening and should you as an investor be concerned? And I think at this point we're probably saying, Uh, There's some reasons to look deeper into the market and some thinkings that you should be thinking about. And, Rusty, one of the biggest issues that we face every year is August and September seem to be, historically, they're not seem to be, they are, historically, uh, kind of the worst months for the market each year. Is that going to be the case this year? My question. And my answer is, I can't tell you for sure. Oh, come on, Rusty! (laughs) (laughs) I 
wouldn't bet against the odds. Right? I the hear odds you. Are that those two months are uh, are weaker than normal. Uh, it's not like people should be uh, freaked out about it. It's uh, you, you know, there's, I'm not suggesting that we're going to have a huge sell-off in those two months. But if you follow the the averages and the all of averages here can be broken at any time. Uh, the averages suggest that these are the two worst months, with September being the worst, August being the next worst month for investors, typically. And uh, this year may be completely atypical. And uh, so it could be that they'll go up this year. But if you look at what's going on so far this year, the market's advance so far has tracked the long-term averages for how the market acts in the different seasonal parts of the year. And so if it continues to track, we, we may see a little bit of a sell-off here in the next couple months. Yeah, One's that's one of those things. Yeah, it happens. And, you know, as you said, it uh, it could be, and I appreciate your answer, uh, but we it's not a guarantee. They are sometimes when September has been a very productive month. The reality is it's just historical. And I think that has a lot to do with the amount of trading going on and the the, the vacation time that takes place in yep. August and things things like that. But the reality is we could speculate all day long. It's just a historical fact. August and September are not your top two performing months. We can go back into talking about what those are later. But August and September, I like what you're saying. Reality is um, don't get too caught up in expectations. But, you know, speaking of expectations, and, and Scott's one that really got a question for you. Uh, and Scott Jordan, who's joined us in the studios here, about the Fed. Scott, your take is that um, the Fed seems to be running interference in some kind of a way. What's your thoughts? With well, good, first of all, good morning, Rusty. How are you doing this morning? Good, good morning, Scott. Nice to have you <laughs> on board with us today. Yeah, so Jim and I were talking earlier kind of about this bond conundrum that you brought up um, a few minutes ago with the fact that the 10-year Treasury doesn't seem to be tracking inflation and, uh, you know, one of the theories that I was positing is possibly this, this Fed interference in the market through their QE program, increasing the money supply by buying bonds. You know, how, how much could that be distorting the market and causing the market to not act as normal? And part two of that question is, do you think we're on the cusp of a major monetary policy change? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, definitely on the first part, definitely the Fed is influencing, you know, distorting the markets. And that's been doing that for quite some time, driving people like me crazy uh, <laughs> because you, you like to see reality win, not uh, some distortion by some governmental force. But in addition to the Fed distorting it, you've also had this, you know, the massive amount of money that Biden has poured into the uh, and really going back to Trump, too, because there was a stimulus under Trump. Uh, but there's been tons of stimulus money poured into the economy. And a lot of that is uh, not needed. People are getting money that they don't need, and so they're parking it, and that's causing some uh, destabilization in the bond markets as well, particularly at the short end of the of the bond market, not necessarily the tenure. So there's a whole bunch of uh, unintended consequences of all this largesse that's being uh, spread around by the government. And inflation, of course, is one of that one of those uh, unintended consequences, but it's also causing uh, the bond market to react in ways that one wouldn't end normally anticipate. So so that's a problem. And as far as the Fed changing policy, well, uh, we talked about August being a bad month and September being a bad month. One of the reasons is because the Fed has a big meeting uh, out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, every late every August. And oftentimes that signals, uh, they have signaled a change in policy at that meeting. And so there's going to be a, quite a bit of anticipation again if the Fed is finally going to say, hey, we've kind of overdone it. We need to step back here a little bit. Uh, sorry, investors, we're not going to be – we don't have your back as much as we used to. Uh, so there's a lot of concern about that that could also trigger investors to be a little uh, frightened. 
You know, Rusty, I think the reality is that uh, we have to kind of manage our portfolio around a long-term plan because you can get caught up into this amount of noise going on all the time. And so I appreciate what you're saying. And, and you always tell us that, that, you know, the idea behind, yep. you know, staying exactly. staying in the long term. And I, and I so much appreciate that. On the, on the thought that you just said, the trillions of dollars are now that have come in and through a lot of households, you got more money. Uh, in their balance sheets, they got debt that they've paid down. Enormous change for a lot of people. Now, Biden's spending trillions in stimulus efforts. Are they on track, or do you think it's beginning to stall? I think it's stalling, um, but they are pushing hard. Nevertheless, they are—I mean—they're relentless. And uh, a lot comes down to our buddy Joe Manchin, who is a uh, conservative Democrat, and whether he'll uh, go along or not, uh, and. And also what they will try to stuff into a bill that is named one thing, but actually is you know meant to be doing a whole lot of other things. So they talk about the infrastructure bill a lot. Uh, that seems to be stalled. Uh, and But I think they also have a lot of other agenda, Democratic left-wing agenda items that they're trying to force through and trying to figure out a way to do it. And uh, it's going to be a struggle for the Democrats to get it through. And it's going to be a struggle for the Republicans to block it. And a, a lot does come down to Senator... Um, Mansion and maybe Senator Cinema, uh, because I, and we don't want to get into the, all the, the deep dark secrets of how the Senate works, but it's it's just going to be a struggle. I think that in the end uh, they will probably get another slot, you know, big chunk of spending through, but it will probably be far less than some of the rumors that are out there right now. At least that's my hope. Hmm. But you know, it's something we're going to have to keep an eye on, and um, you know, it's. It's a lot of money they're talking about, and it's all borrowed money. So we really, we really need to wake up the people in, in Washington D.C. and say, "Hey, you just can't really do this every year." Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no you know, question about that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you just tuned in, our guest has been Rusty Leonard, CEO and founder of Stewardship Partners Investment Council, a frequent guest of ours. Rusty, you kind of mentioned the fact that we'll have to see what's going to take place. So. We'll have you back, and uh, I'd like to get you back in September and let you tell us what you think's going on with that. What actually the Fed does in Jackson Hole besides play golf? Whatever. I don't know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my All right. friend. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day, sir. And you as well. Thanks again. And that's Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners Investment Council and does a wonderful job for us. And, you know, Scott, when he talks, it's just I enjoy listening to him because he brings an enormous amount of wealth of knowledge. But I have a question for you. With all of that going on, the attitude, the approaches, the actions, all of the noise and stuff, what do you say first and foremost to the average listener about their portfolio? Well, I think first and foremost, it goes back to, and you mentioned this already, it's having that long-term strategy and having that long-term plan, understanding why you are investing the way you're investing. And that is a critical step to determine how you should be investing your money because there is going to be a lot of noise, whether it's what the Fed does in Jackson Hole or what Biden's going to spend money on and what that debt's going to do for the future of our country. There's always going to be a lot of noise out there that that can tend to influence our short-term decisions. And if we don't have a very clear understanding of that why we're investing, and most people are investing to meet future cash flow needs that they're going to need sometime in the future. And so if we don't understand that, we can tend to get jostled around and moved around by the noise of the media and everything else going on. Well, that noise, we'll talk about that because I know a lot of people have a tendency to follow the herd, and I want to get into that a little bit too. 
Uh, I want to remind everybody, we're going to offer you a PDF, and the PDF is entitled Don't Panic. Now, we've offered this before, and many of you like this. It's just simply go to our Shoemaker Financial Facebook page and search for the document on our post, and you can more than welcome to just download the document. It's free. It's called Don't Panic, and you uh, it, it's something I think you would enjoy reading and definitely would benefit you. When Scott comes back, we're going to dive into some things that really can hurt an investor. Things like following the herd, getting caught up in all the emotions, and not staying the course. You can like us on Facebook, find us on at iTunes, and search for Shoemaker Financial if you want to get this program and repeat it later on. You're listening to Talk Money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment. Neither Shoemaker Financial nor Securian Financial Services are affiliated with Karen Vogelsang, Arise to Read, Rusty Leonard, or Stewardship Partners. The views and opinions expressed are those of Karen Vogelsang and Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Securian Financial Services Incorporated or Shoemaker Financial. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Coming up in the third part of our program, the third segment of our program, is uh, Karen Vogelsang. She is the Executive Director and a frequent guest of ours, she is with uh, Rise to Read, you know that. And we're going to be talking about something that is extremely important for you. If you know a child that's learning to read, or you have a child that's learning to read, or you want to teach somebody to read, it's really a problem called screen-based online learning. You do not want to miss that segment of the program. She's already in the studio. She's raring to go, so stay with us. She'll be with us in just a few minutes. But... We're still trying to wrap our head around this market that seems to be seeing signs, I guess, Scott, of a little bit more volatile. Monday was an exciting day. Yes, if it was. you were on the <laughs> negative side, <laughs> yesterday was an exciting day. I mean, you've got all the things going on. So the reality is the market's fluctuating and doing the thing it's supposed to do, and that's to be volatile. But what do you say to those people that get caught up in the noise and, and almost do what everybody else is doing? Well, this is a problem that we see a lot. I call it kind of the twin fears. You have the fear of missing out and the fear of loss. And that, that herd mentality, that following the herd, t- tends to creep up during market upswings a lot of times when maybe you're a long-term investor with a disciplined strategy, and that can lead to some discipline, disappointment when certain sectors of the market are doing well. And when and people don't really know how their friends are doing in the market, so they use proxies like looking at CNBC and seeing what the S&P 500 is doing, and they think, well, if they're maybe trailing that performance, they're missing out on something. So that can lead to those short-term decisions, that herd-following mentality of, hey, I need to do what everybody else is doing because I'm missing out on performance here, and that that can really derail a long-term investment strategy. What about that emotional side of that? I mean, with when you say the, the whole idea of fear of missing out or that – that you get that emotional thing going on. Yeah. In a perfect world, investors would be content. They would never worry about their investments, and they would just move <laughs> along with life world. and go in the world. But, I like it. But we are emotional creatures, <laughs> and we tend to, you know, we always say, you know, we say things as advisors like, you know, focus on the long term. Well, 
that doesn't really address somebody's emotional needs when they're going through either either that fear of missing out or, or that fear of loss and and they can uh, end up you know that can lead to short-term decision making that that is not in your best optimal interest from a long-term perspective all right when you think through that process how do you tell someone you say it's not in the best interest how do you share with someone to get through that process how do they get past that what's that what's that fix for that the only thing that I've seen that works and I've been doing this a long time is to have a structured disciplined long-term investment strategy that you stick with through thick and thin and part of that is understanding those trade-offs we just talked about that fear of missing out so knowing that when when we've decided what we're trying to accomplish and we can quantify that we have some future need and whether that's uh, you know I want to buy a new vacation home or I need money in retirement we know what that need we can quantify that and we can design an investment strategy that has a high probability of hitting that goal now there's going to be trade-offs in that scenario in other words if if you have a multi-asset disciplined balanced portfolio that's designed to meet those future needs you're going to go through some disappointing times when the market is doing what it does and maybe maybe certain sectors of the market are outperforming we saw this in the last several years when domestic large cap growth stocks have kind of led everything so that that tends to lead people to say well shoot i just need to put everything in large cap growth domestic stocks and i'll make way more money when you say that, you really are implying that there's another problem, that is diversification. I know you talk about that a lot. Explain that to our investors, diversification and the idea behind rebalancing. Yeah, well, asset allocation, diversification, those are, you know, in, in the big picture of things, it's, it's how much am I going to have in stocks, how much am I going to have in bonds, and how much am I going to have in cash. Now, there's other asset classes in there, too. You can throw some real estate or commodities. There's a lot of things you can throw And a lot there. of times, this is just, if you're looking at your 401k, yep. look at stocks, bonds, and cash. And then what are you allowed to invest in? And and the reason you mix those is to try to manage risk, right? We all have a certain pain threshold for risk and what we can stand to see our portfolio go through. Um, you and I can both look at history and say, well, shoot, stocks have outperformed every other asset class over the long term. Why don't we put everything in stocks? But in order to get that long-term return, you have to go through some pretty painful times because there's going to be things that happen, uh, just like we saw last March with the pandemic kicking up. We saw the, the S&P 500 drop 34%. So if you're in a 100% S&P 500 portfolio, you're going to take that whole 34% drop, and can you handle that 34% drop? So we diversify, we asset allocate in order to manage that risk, and the portfolio is designed in order to meet those long-term goals. You're going to have to go through some short-term pain to hit those long-term and goals. And the short-term pain, then, of course, you say all the time, rebalance, rebalance, rebalance. Don't neglect the fact that every year you need to relook at the portfolio, rebalance to what your risk is saying. Absolutely. And that's just part of that discipline process, right? We talk about having a principle-driven discipline investment process, and that's you know, setting that asset allocation based on your goals, diversifying among those those assets, but not putting everything with one manager or all in one particular company, diversifying that. And then the rebalance is where just every year you take a look and see if things have gotten out of kilter a little bit and rebalance that portfolio back to that original allocation. It's Man, a risk management. It's a risk now. management tool. It doesn't guarantee results, you know. <laughs> we always does. have to say that. Yeah. It, it's, it's a risk management tool, but it does – it forces that discipline of, uh, 
you know, buying low and selling high and just rebalancing every year. So. You explained it so well, and I do think everybody needs to know diversification nor asset allocation is guaranteed against loss. You still got that possibility. It's just a manage a method of managing risk, and I so much appreciate you saying that. So don't follow the herd. Right. Don't get so emotional in your investments that you've lost your long-term strategy. Exactly. Those are two biggies. And then I, I do think people have just got to understand what's your strategy. Stick to your strategy. Yep. Asset allocation, diversification, rebalance doesn't guarantee against loss. It just gives you a sense of managing risk. Yes. And that's important. Well said, sir. If you have, like to look at the PDF that we've got offering you today, the PDF is um, called Don't Panic. You can go to Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document on our post, and you can review the document and download it if you'd like. And uh, just uh, you know, just read it. And it's a well-written uh, PDF article. Don't panic. We'll be coming back in just a second. And this lady is going to talk to us. I read it to you a few minutes ago. Screen-based online learning will change kids' brains. Now, do you hear what I said? Screen-based online learning will change kids' brains. You don't want to miss Karen Bogusine, Executive Director, Rise to Read. She'll be with us in just a moment. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Welcome back. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You're listening to Talk Money on KWAM, the Mighty 990. My guest, Karen Vogelsing, she is the Executive Director of Arise to Read. And we've had her many, many times on the program. We talk about a program going on here in the city that is dedicated and really, I mean, doing a wonderful job of teaching young students how to read. Welcome to the program, Karen. Thank you, Jim. Glad to be back. Well, it's always good to have you, lady. And you always bring so much wealth of information. And today, I want our listening audience, those that might not know the impact that Arise to Read is having in our city. So I want to give you a chance to just say, tell us about Rise to Read. Oh, you know I love talking I know about Arise to Read. I know you do. I can see it in your eyes and I can <laughs> see it in your face. It's just great to have you here, lady. Well, so thank you. We're listening to you. Well, Arise to Read just finished its eighth year in the craziest year uh, yet in its eight-year history. But in, in a nutshell, Arise to Read uh, recruits volunteers from all walks of life to be able to come into our schools. Pre-COVID, we were serving 41 schools. We're going to be serving even more schools this coming school year. And these volunteers will train them to work with two children, one each for 30 minutes, for an hour a week from September to April. And during that time, they're going to help support the reading growth of students, help develop their foundational literacy skills. But even beyond that, Jim, the other exciting thing that happens is that because the volunteers are working with the same two children each week, they're also supporting their social and emotional well-being, which is something that's needed now more so than ever. And, and we've seen firsthand uh, with our work this past year just the stress, the toll that the pandemic has taken on our, on our young children. You know, I know of all, a couple of volunteers, several volunteers, and they talk about the impact. They, they, they've watched the child go from, you know, learning to read, not knowing how to read. Yeah. To go, but, but I have to tell you this, and I'm not going to tell you who is a testimonial. And, <laughs> I, and I thoroughly enjoy this man's, uh, he's, a, he's very much in, dedicated to your program. Mm-hmm. 
He said it's one thing to go into a classroom and you or go into this area where he's going to be working with, and you know the kid goes, you know, like, oh no, here's uh, it's never <laughs> like that. that. It all. is <laughs> never like. He said as soon as I hit the door, the kid's up out of the chair and he gets this big hug, and they can't wait yep. to learn how to read. And 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 what are we doing there? I mean, that's a that's more than just teaching how yeah. to read. That's yeah. a companion. Uh, it's a, a relationship. Teacher, a relationship. It's a relationship. Why is that so critical in the process of learning to read? Well, uh, if you think about it, anything that we do successfully in life is rooted in a relationship of some kind, isn't it? And so, so for many of our children, especially our children living in poverty, I think of the children that I taught in the 15 years that I was a teacher. Many, uh, many of our young children don't have that kind of one-on-one attention from a family member. It might be because. I think of a family that we've served at Red Door Urban Missions. There's 12 children and a single mom. Um, So sometimes children aren't getting that one-on-one attention that they need. And there's nothing greater than that one-on-one relationship. So what's happening is the children are feeling very special because this volunteer keeps coming in week after week to see them. And they're like, wow, I must be something special that, you know, Mr. Jim is coming to see me every week to help me do this. And we're playing games and we're having fun, but it's all rooted in teaching them these foundational literacy skills helping them to read and read fluently and understanding what they're reading. So it's beyond just the academics. It's also the social-emotional well-being of the kiddos. If you just tuned in, Karen Vogel saying she's the executive director of Arise to Read. Let me say this to those of you listening. You have a choice. You can either say, you know, point your finger. You can gripe and grumble. You can say this and you can say that. And you can we can talk all about our problems in Memphis. Or the other choice is you can decide to be a volunteer. To do that, you simply call 347-5545. They will train you. They will get you involved. It will change your life. You will stop the griping and complaining, and all of a sudden you have a project teaching a young child how to read. Karen, I am so passionate for this for you because I struggled as a reader, as in the first and second grader. It's a long story. I've said it many times. Most people know about it. Bottom line is my mom found something I was interested in. My mom came alongside. I had a second grade teacher. that relationship. But that relationship. Yep. And it, I can remember spending afternoon in the summer on the picnic table outside reading. And I have to admit that I probably wasn't the best student at that point until all of a sudden I found something that just wowed me and I read every book in the library exactly. and went from a third grade reading level to a sixth grade. So I know it's possible. Yep. I know it changed my life. Yep. And I know for any child, and you've got that volunteer, that dedicated, that relationship you're talking about, right. that's the change. So 347-5545 to talk to Karen Bogusing, the executive director of Arise to Read. I'll give you out her email address in just a few moments. But now, Karen, I want to try to turn the dial. Sure. I mentioned it earlier in the program. Screen-based online learning, and I'm quoting, I'm reading this article, will change kids' brains. Are we ready for that? That's an article written by Marianne Wolf. She's a UCLA graduate, and you're talking about that because you see it as a big problem. Uh, it is a big problem, and uh, what a lot of people don't understand, and I didn't understand until I, until I bumped into this research, um, we weren't born to read. We weren't born to read at all. And so literacy required this new circuit in our brains. 
And as a, and and what happens is our this circuit, these connections will adapt to whatever writing system or any medium. And in, in the case of what we're talking about today, these mediums are either print or this digital platform. Um, but the circuits in our brain are either going to reflect positively or negatively about either of those platforms that we're using. And what's happening, because there's so much neuroimaging um, science that's available now, um, scientists are able to look at brain scans of the language and literacy areas of our brains. And as a result, they're seeing the impact that screen time is having on the development of children's brains. And these studies are revealing that there are detriments of screen time use for our, our young children, not even just our young children, but also um, older children and for us as adults. So that's... I mean, I can see this as a problem. So I, I know you mentioned as we were thinking about the program that what's become the pacifier yeah, for this yeah. young two-year-old, one-year-old is the is the phone. Yeah, you know, hand the phone to them, let them do whatever they want to, and that's that's that screen time you're talking. Absolutely, about. Um, and that's really what one of the researchers talked about, uh, Jim, is the fact that the the new pacifier for babies and toddlers, and even for young kids, and even for families. Think about a time that you've gone out to dinner and have seen everybody around the dinner table at a restaurant. Everybody's on their phone, right? Mm. We're all tethered to these devices. Um, but I want to share this one study with you from Cincinnati Children's Hospital just to get listeners to understand the impact. When they started looking at these scans, they found this underdevelopment and disorganization of white matter in the, the language and literacy areas of our brain, of the preschooler's brain, that were using the screens, right? So what happens, we think we're doing a good thing for our young children, putting the, them on these devices, thinking they have access to all this information, but the research is revealing that it's not beneficial for our children. Mm. Um, the first five years of life are so important for, this, uh, for brain development. And you've got to have these stimulating experiences for young children in that age group uh, in order to make sure that they're making these strong connections. And these kinds of experiences occur when a child is being read to not read to by a device, but read to by a human being, somebody that they have a relationship with. They're being played with, whether it's board games inside or playing outside on something. Um, it's having conversations in the car. It's having conversations about books that are read or maybe a TV program or two that you've watched, right? But what happens with those kind of stimulating experiences, you've got the brain development occurring and you've got a really strong connections occurring. And when that happens, the children that have those experiences have an advantage when they start school compared to those that don't. And you know, we take that for granted, thinking that's probably happening, whether it's the parent or a grandparent. I have a dear friend of mine that uh, works with some underprivileged children, and he was telling me that the, the problem they're seeing today is the loss of the grandparent. Mm. The aging grandparent is yeah. dying, yeah. and now there is no senior grandparent adult in the family who was doing that 10 years right. ago. Are you seeing the same thing? Um, you know, we we serve a lot of children who are being raised by their grandparents. Okay. And actually, uh, I had a parent focus group in the Fraser area a month or so ago, and most of the parents that were there were grandparents. And one of the, one of the comments by several of the grandparents there was their struggle with utilizing technology. So mm. they really didn't know how to utilize the technology, especially this past year since children were given devices and, and uh, access to Internet. The grandparents were struggling to meet the children 
in using the technology. And so that was that was definitely a challenge. That was a, a real challenge. difficult problem also. Well, do you speak about that? You're talking about the children when they start school. Now you've got that first to a sixth grader or even higher. There, there are, is there so much technology that that's creating a problem? I mean, now that we're adding that, I mean, you, you understand all of a sudden you've gone from maybe not as much and now we've just downloaded it and put a ton into it? Yeah, I think one of the things that's happened, Jim, and I, and I experienced this when I was a teacher, is that I, I think we're – I think – we believe that if we just find the right, just right program, that that just right computer program is going to teach a child to read. One of the things that we noticed in our work this past year was that the attention span of our children, even as excited as they are in working with our volunteers, the attention span of the children dropped by like 10 minutes. Sometimes we had to find a way to shorten a session from 30 minutes to 20 minutes. And you know, could that be because of the extreme screen use in this very you know, extenuating circumstances that we've had this past year. What research is showing is that children that do have all this screen time, it is affecting their attention spans. And if it's affecting their attention spans, they're not attending to what they're reading online, and therefore they're not comprehending. That's and that's the whole goal of reading. Should yeah. we stop the use of technology? No, absolutely not. We've got to find a way to balance the use to support the learning. And we've got to really be pay really, really close attention to how we're utilizing that technology, especially in these early years. You look at the low rate of third-grade reading proficiency that we have. I think back when I was in the classroom five years ago, I think our third-grade proficiency rate was somewhere around 33 35%. 2019 state test results revealed only 24% of our third graders are reading proficiently. I know my experience in the classroom, it was put them on this program, put them on this program, put them on this program, instead of me having that opportunity to work face-to-face with children. And that's what our children need. They need the relationship to be able to help them become really strong, critical thinkers, because that's the other thing that's impacting that brain development. So much, so much. Yeah. You know, we run out of time with you every, <laughs> every time. time you come. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. I don't know whether you just push the clock or what, but <laughs> you definitely do that. Karen, it's an important topic. Definitely, yeah, come back. We covered a lot of subjects, though. You've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990, FM 107.9 AM 990. I want to thank my guest, of course, Rusty Leonard and uh, obviously Scott Jordan. But, Karen, thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Jim. And the telephone number to reach Karen is 347-5545. And you can also email her at karenv at arise, the number two, read, dot O-R-G. I'll give you that out later on, too. To find a copy of today's PDF that I mentioned earlier, you simply go to the Facebook page. It's called Don't Panic, and you'll want to pick that up and be sure you take the time to read that. Next week, my guest, Del Irwin, will talk about some things going on with the Better Business Bureau. David Rochester, are you ready to retire? And Anna Wilcox and Effie Johnson, Neighborhood Christian Center. That's Wednesday at 9 a.m. right again on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. right here on KWAM, the mighty 990. If you have questions, send them to Talk Money at Shoemaker financial.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Scott Jordan are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services Incorporated. Securities dealer, member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.